Now grace, mercy, and peace be to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson uh, from Ezekiel 37 is the basis for the sermon today. James Henry White is an author who wrote a book called Rethinking the Church. And in this book, he tells the story about Swiss watchmakers, of all people. He essentially says that if you would have asked anybody in the late 1960s who was going to dominate the world market in the later part of the 20th century and the 21st century in watchmaking, the people back in the late 1960s would have said, oh yeah, that's easy, that's the Swiss. Why? Because the Swiss had dominated the previous 60 years in watchmaking industry. They controlled some 65% of the world market, made as much as and controlled about 90% of the profits that went on at that time. But by the 1980s, the Swiss had laid off thousands and thousands of watchmakers. Between the years of 1979 and 1981 alone, they laid off some 50 to 65,000 watchmakers. Why? because they had refused to consider a new development in watchmaking, the advent of the quartz movement. No longer was the self-winding models needed. Now the Swiss for years had, had been the innovators in things like waterproofing watches and, and making bearings and gears and self-winding mechanisms, you know, the mainsprings, uh, more efficient and whatnot. But all of a sudden this quartz movement came about and they could not, adjust with the paradigm shift. They couldn't move in and see this as an advancement that was going on. Too much for them. But people like Seiko and some other watchmakers saw that, took advantage of it, ended up dominating the market. Now, there were a few who survived in the Swiss watchmaking movement, but as a whole, the nation was no longer the prominent nation in watchmaking. They were no longer dominant or known. The lesson of the Swiss watchmaker, says James Henry White, is profound. A past that was so secure, so profitable, so dominant, was destroyed by an unwillingness to consider the future. It was not that they were unable to make predictions. It was the inability to rethink of how they did business. Past success, says James Henry White, had blinded them to the importance of seeing the implications of a changing world and to admit that past accomplishment was no guarantee of future success. Think about that for a moment. An entire nation comes crumbling to the ground because they can't see in front of them. Now, if you don't know what a quartz movement is, let me put it this in layman's terms. It's, um, you have a battery that's in this watch. It sends out an electrical current that hits this little tiny quartz crystal that then gets energized and causes the watch to vibrate, which makes all the parts come to life. So thus, if you don't have that in place, then the watch doesn't work. You're relying on human hands to, to self-wind the model. But no longer would the watch go dead because somebody didn't wind it. And we know that a watch without power is useless. It's just a bunch of parts and pieces together with no power. And a human body, though, is a lot like watches. We're comprised of flesh and bones and organs and systems and senses. But a body without a spirit is nothing. It's dead. Might as well be a pile of dried, dusty old bones. We get an image of that today as we journey with God and, and Ezekiel down to a valley floor 
full of old, dusty, dry bones. And this is no, I don't know, archaeological dig, okay? This is a reminder of what once existed. It's a surface image of lost hope, of a nation that's emptied itself, left a reminder of what once was. We will discover, though, that this image of dry bones is something more than just that. The vision we see here in Ezekiel 37, it it occurs at a period in, in Israel's history that was known as the Babylonian exile. The Babylonian armies had had invaded Israel, ransacked Jerusalem, exiled the Judean king and many other Judean leaders to Babylon. And after about 10 years had passed, Jerusalem would once again rebel. And the Babylonians at this point then levels Jerusalem as a whole, tears down their temple, and sends a second wave of exiles into Babylon. A second wave that included Ezekiel himself whom God would later call to be a prophet. And while the Israelites are in exile, they face a physical crisis. They also face a faith crisis. For them, the future looked bleak. They lost the land. They were once successful, but now have nothing. And they're crying out. They feel like a pile of dry old bones. They're they're questioning whether or not God is still faithful and still cares about them. They're lamenting this bleakness. And without their city, without their temple, without their king, they felt like they were absolutely nothing. Which brings us to this vision today of this valley of old, dusty, dry bones. Down on the valley floor, amidst these exposed bones, God asks Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? I wonder how we might answer that question if God asked that of us. Ascension, can these old bones live? Well, Ezekiel knows the answer to that. What does he say? Oh God, you know. You certainly know if they can live. And now we come to this, the structure of this vision that we see here today. It's an interaction between a, a communal cry of a, a desolate, inconsolable people and an oracle of salvation, of restoration. God will ask Ezekiel to prophesy good news, finally, in response to the communal cries and pleas of the Israelites. And so it begins. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you. And flesh shall come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know I am the Lord. This isn't a a deconstruction like a lot of the prophecies we've been hearing about. No, this is a reconstruction. This is an oracle of salvation that's coming about here. And so Ezekiel prophesies what the Lord commanded him. And then life becomes to come about. Almost like in Hollywood fashion, right? Only not. This is in creator fashion. Bones on bones. Bones and skin coming together. A great rattling sound. And perhaps you get that, that voice of that old spiritual hymn, Dim Dry Bones. Right? The tone bones connected to the foot bone and the foot bones connected to the heel bone. 
all these things coming together and right here in the middle of this valley floor, we've got pieces and parts coming together. But there's no life in these bodies just yet. Just listless forms like zombies erected in a valley. Until, until God commands a second prophecy to be brought forth by Ezekiel. And this time God says what? Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. I want you to know something here. The Hebrew word for breath here is ruach, or in the ancient Hebrew, rah, guttural. It means spirit, wind, and breath. Ezekiel encompasses all three meanings of this word here. The breath of God. Maybe it conjures up, you know, God in creation back, way back in Genesis, breathing into the nostrils of man and causing life. Yeah, we have the breath of God and we have the four winds. And of course, the life-giving spirit, bringing these dry bones to life. For a change, we have a prophet prophesying news to a desolate, inconsolate nation, a vision of restoration. How fitting then that we see this text, which is normally relegated to Lenten texts, you know, and, and things with uh, the resurrection. How fitting we see that today here on the day of Pentecost. The day that we know that we have the Holy Spirit sent that comes upon Peter and the apostles. What, let me ask you this, what in our lives might appear to be before us today Dusty old dry bones. Both in our individual lives and maybe in our congregational life, for that matter. Many of us have wandered aimlessly in this world. And there are still many that wander aimlessly and listless. No soul. No body. Or maybe down in spirits. Devoid of a spirit this past year and a half because of COVID-19. You know, set in depression amidst isolation. Set amidst political and economic turmoil or perhaps in a health crisis. Maybe as a congregation, amidst a pastoral vacancy and all the frustrations that go along with it, we wonder if God is still faithful and will restore us or will we just be a, a sinking ship, a valley full of dry bones. Maybe we cry out with Israel. Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Well, no matter what we think or experience, God is always faithful, always trustworthy, and He can do anything. He alone always has our best interests in His hands. Only God can breathe true life into us. Apart from God, we are nothing but bones. Nothing but flesh. Aimless, lifeless beings. The Son of Man, can these bones live? You, God, you know. Can we be brought forth to life as individuals or as a congregation? Are we actually even dead? Maybe we think that way. But believe it or not, there is still life in us as individuals and as a congregation. We're not devoid of the Holy Spirit. 
We got the Holy Spirit in our baptisms that guides us and leads us, convicts us, comforts us, shows us the path to God. We have the Holy Spirit in our congregation. Work is still being done. It just may not appear, but just ask those who have been working tirelessly this last 18 months. Ask the call committee and the council and the staff and those who've been working. They're probably sitting here exhausted, maybe feeling like a, a pile of dry bones, but they're certainly not. There's work that's being done. And God says, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your grave, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. And He has done it. Through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, God has raised us, given us new life, a new hope, and a new future. And today, we celebrate Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that I just mentioned that we received in our baptisms, who helps us to hear the Word of the Lord, who moves us into action, who turns us from our sins, and in repentance brings us to the grace and the mercy and the peace of God. The Holy Spirit gives us life and animates us, helps us to take the Word of the Lord to a society full of aimless Wandering beings. Way back on Ash Wednesday, we were reminded that we are nothing but dust. And today, we're reminded what God can do with dusty, dry bones. Hope's not lost. I pray daily that God would fill me with the Holy Spirit in my life. I pray daily that, for, that the Holy Spirit would come upon this congregation and continue to move. And move us in ways like never before. Working joyfully together in the ministry. Connected together. Bone on bone. Flesh on flesh. Taking God's Word to the world so that others can be connected together with us as one in the body of Christ. The Lord has spoken. The Lord has done it. He has declared it. And to God be all the glory. Amen.